and uh, there was this moment on the last night. You, we all know retreat rules, right? Like the last night is supposed to be the emotional night. And that's true at a pastor retreat too. And so this pastor retreat is going on and there's this leader, thank you, this leader who, um, who has a word for kind of all 15, 20 of us there that it just means to encourage us with. And over this time, everybody's praying over everybody. And, and so we're in this like kitchen part of the bunkhouse that we've been staying at. And, and the, the leader is going person to person, telling what he's seen in, in the different people there. And, and uh, y'all know me, like I want the coolest one. So I'm listening to other people praying for them, but inside, I'm praying, but really praying also that I get a really cool word. That's what I'm hoping, just being honest, you and me. And so I remember this one guy who's like, you're, you're a warrior like David. And I know you face some real battles, and you're a warrior in this. And I'm like, oh, that's a good word. And somebody else had some real obstacles, and the leader said, you, you will be victorious soon. You'll know the taste of victory. And we prayed for the taste of victory for this pastor, and I was one of the last ones, and I'm firmly believing we saved the best for last, right? And I'm like, oh, I've got a good word for me. And he says, and Matt, you look tired. Your word is rest. And I was like, man, I don't even almost like you. And the truth is, I look tired. And the truth is, I needed rest. But the word that he had was not valiant or victorious or warrior. The word was rest. And so he prayed over me, and I reluctantly received the prayer. And then like a tiny little baby, I went to bed early, pouting. And I was woke up by David the warrior in the morning who said, You were snoring so loud, you really got rest, praise God. I was like, I never want to speak to you again. We are no longer friends on Facebook. I was so upset. I felt like I got ripped off. I was disappointed because, honestly, I misunderstood rest. I didn't know the gift that rest is. And so when I heard it, I was like, oh, great. I get the dumb one. Well, here we are in this series called Always Becoming, and we're talking about this is the trajectory of our church. This is what God is doing in us. This year, next year, the next year, we will always be be becoming. We're always on this journey. And over these four weeks, we're looking at the four pathways that we're taking to become, right? Last week, if you were here, Pastor Jamel walked us through being illuminated by the Word of God. And this one I get excited about, being illuminated by the Word of God, where the Word of God becomes alive to you, guides you in your life, and, and you follow what it is that he has, spending time in the Word. He did a great job. If you didn't get to hear it, just so everybody knows, you can find all these podcasts on Spotify and on iTunes. Go ahead and look us up on, on those things if you've missed one. Uh, next week, we're going to be going through Directed. And looking at engaging in the world with the gospel, with truth and justice, the stuff that 
honestly has brought a lot of us together is, is this directed, this pathway of like, okay, we want to be people of justice, and so let's, let's do this. We want to be people who are engaging the world with the gospel, so let's do this. On our anniversary week, we're going to be looking at Ignited, this worship and joy-filled intimate life in Christ where we, we worship in song here, but we worship as an act of our entire life where we just live in worship filled with the Holy Spirit. And then this week, we're looking at United. This is the one about community, about relationships. And as I thought about it, some of us feel a bit about relationships, about community, about united, as I did about rest. Some of us come to these messages that are about community, and we're like, oh, I wish I knew I would have slept in. Because we just feel like we've, we've heard it, and it's stale, and we don't really understand the invitation that we're given. So I want to pray with you as we start off this, this sermon, and then we're going to look at more what Jesus invites us into as he defines community. I think it's a little different than perhaps what you and I have often viewed as community, okay? So let's pray together. Jesus, we're going to spend some time looking at your words, your words for your disciples, your prayer for us. As we do this, Holy Spirit, would you make this real for us? Will you speak loudly in, in plain ways that we can understand on what it is that, that you have for us? I believe there's an invitation for something deeper here for each one of us in the room, and I pray that you would you'd give us the courage to, to hear that and then the courage to accept that invitation and move accordingly. Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for the way that you're still living and breathing among us and in us. We give you this time in your name. Amen. All right, go ahead and in your device or in your actual Bible, turn to John 15. We're going to start there for a moment or two. So in this, in this passage, Jesus is talking to the 11 disciples. And what we know what we know is that he's already sent Judas. Judas is betraying him. Judas has already left. This is kind of Jesus' last words, some of his last words to the disciples, kind of the things that he wants to make sure that they know. And, and starting in verse 12, he says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay one's life for one's friends. You're my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. This incredible, incredibly intimate moment that John lets us into. He's talking to these 11 disciples, and, and it's like the peak of their friendship, their relationship. It's, it's a special moment that we're given a glimpse of. And, and in there, he's speaking to his 11 disciples, but he's speaking to us, right? Like we, we get a glimpse through the window at what's going on, and we, we get to be spoken to as well. He, he reminds them of, and he reminds us of this commandment that we're to love one another. But if you're like everybody 
that I know, you want to know, well, how much? How much do we love? Like, this is even what, like, little kids ask, like, and there's books and stuff, like, I love you this much, and how much love, how far do we go? What does love one another look like? And the how much love that Jesus says to his disciples is that you're willing to lay your life down for the one you love. Now, I don't know that as we try to translate that into our life, I don't know if that means we like go run in front of cars for each other. I don't think that's exactly what this is being said. I think it's this ultimately sacrificial kind of love is what he calls us into. Don't you think that's probably what he's meaning for us? Is that, that we sacrifice, that we're willing to sacrifice to the point of laying down our life for those that we love. This isn't like, hey, here's the ideal church. He says, this is what I command, that you love one another. And when someone asks how much, the how much is that you would be willing to lay down your life for one another. That's a lot of love. And he's talking to these 11 disciples who he walks closely with, and they all call him Lord. And he says at this point, now, I, I am, I'm calling you friends. And I choose to call you friends as you obey me. So for us, we're glimpsing into this conversation. This means something. We're, we're to love sacrificially. And then next to one another, in relationship with one another, this is still in the context of loving the other, we're to obey God. We're to obey Jesus. So that means that in relationship with you, the best way for me to love you is sacrificially and obeying God. We're still in this relationship with one another. And then he moves on and he says, he, he says here, you are, you're my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. So this third thing that we see in here is that he reveals what the father's shown him. That's a part of this essential friendship that Jesus has with the 11 there. That it's sacrificial, that it's obedient, and that it's revealing what the Father has shown. So as we go forward on this pathway together in always becoming, as we go united, this is what we're talking about. That we're in relationship with one another, where it's sacrificial. Where I acknowledge it costs me something and it's well worth it. Where next to you, I'm obeying God's lead. So as God leads me into something, in relationship with you, that's what I'm following. And then this third piece that, that as the Father reveals things to me, I'm vulnerable enough to share it with you. So what does this, this look like? How, how do we actually do this? Because there's no, no greater picture, I don't think, being united than Jesus in this posture with his disciples. He didn't have to be united with them. He was Lord, and, he, and yet he lives sacrificially, obeying God, revealing what he's been shown. So last week, some of you were here for midweek, and we, we went through Acts chapter 9. And in midweek, we're going through the, the book of Acts. If you're wanting to join us this week, 
we're in Acts 10 this week. Um, but I was, I was thinking of this united passage and thinking of Acts chapter 9. And uh, Acts chapter 9 is wild. This is the chapter where Saul, who is, has letters from the temple to go kill people who are following Jesus, is going around with these letters to go bind and, and kill people following Jesus. And uh, he's, he's knocked over on the road. He collides with Jesus. He gets this, this bright light. He gets blinded. He hears, why have you persecuted me? has this interaction where he asks the Lord who he is, and he says that he's Jesus. And then Jesus sends Saul ahead. I want to read to you what happens here. Uh, he sends Saul ahead and says that he will, that Saul will be told what to do when he gets to the city. In, in verse 10 of chapter 9, it says, Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And Ananias said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. Here's the thing. Saul is going around killing and, and binding, particularly at this point, the threat is binding, like tying up and dragging back to Jerusalem people like Ananias. But now he's blind, not eating, not drinking, praying in Damascus. And the Lord speaks to Ananias and says, hey, go to Saul and pray for him. And Ananias knows who Saul is. I mean, this is a big deal. He knows who he is. And he, and he says, hey, like that man's a threat to me. And... and and God says, well, yeah, but he's my chosen instrument. And so he gives a clear picture of the future that God has for Saul. But he, God does not give a clear picture of the future he has for Ananias. He doesn't say that. He just says, hey, he's my chosen instrument, so go to him. And we get a picture of what it looks like to be united. In the midst of all this fear and in the midst of all this unknowing, Ananias sacrifices here. Verse 17, so Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul is this giant threat to Ananias and all the people like Ananias. He, he has persecuted them. He has scared them. He caused them to scatter. And yet God appears. And Ananias obeys what he says and walks into this relationship with this man who he would assume is a threat to him. And he reveals what the father has told him and sacrifices everything along the way. The thing that's most striking to me is the first word recorded is Brother Saul. 
not murderously threatening Saul, not scary man Saul, not even like sir, but brother Saul. This is a picture of, of this being united that we, we read of in John 15. This united pathway, it's, it's, it's countercultural. Now, reality is for our church, we, we got some attention simply by, like, worshiping together. It's like, wow, look at how much people who are different from each other like each other. They sit in the same room. That's fantastic. That's so great. We should take pictures. It is great. That's a horrible end. If just being slightly different in, in hue or voting record or something like that is the only thing that, 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 that's horrible if that's really what the picture of unity is. We can tolerate each other for an hour and a half on, on Sundays. That's not the picture of being united. And yet I know that we get invited to just settle there and act like that's enough. That's costly enough. But God is inviting us into something much deeper. Well, the first time I went to Ethiopia, I went with Nikki. She had already started some orphanages, and I went over to see them and meet the director and all of this. And, and it was great. It was the only time we got to travel together. We went together and met Eob, who was the director at the time. I'm going all around uh, the capital, ended up going south uh, to Nazareth, where she was working, and then we went further south to just kind of evaluate and talk through things. I remember we were at this beautiful restaurant, and everywhere we went, Nikki and I would order these giant bottles of water and drink tons of water, and every meal, after every meal, Eob would drink a bottle of tonic water. And finally, we, we started, like, moving from business conversation to, like, more casual conversation. And at this lunch, he finally was like, now, can I ask you guys a question? I'm like, sure, what do you want to ask? He says, it is silly to me that you sit and drink water all the time. Everywhere that you go, you're drinking water. That is absolutely silly. He's laughing at us. I want to know what he did to my water. Now, Eob, I, I believe he had two master's degrees. Well-educated man. I, he does now. I believe at the time he did. Well-educated man laughing at me for drinking water. And I don't know if it was Nikki or I, but we said, what, why is it funny that we drink water? And he says, everybody knows that water makes you sick. And we said, well, actually, bad water makes you sick. Water keeps you alive. There's a, a bit of living that you don't even know that you have access to until you drink good water. And he was like, no, no, that's not true. Water makes you sick. And so I remember we bribed him. We would pay him more if he drank water for a month and then tell us what he felt like. And he's like, well, that's what makes you sick. No, bad water makes you sick. Let's drink good water. And so he drank good water and he said, I didn't know how much people needed to go to the bathroom. Now I understand why y'all need to stop all the time. <laughs> I didn't know that I have always lived with a headache. I didn't know that. But since I started drinking this water, I don't live with a headache. 
He had just chronically lived dehydrated, but he was so used to it, he just called that normal. As we talk about community and relationships and being united, community doesn't make you sick. Bad community makes you sick. Relationships don't make you sick. I know some of us are like, I, I don't want more. I've been hurt before. Relationships are not what makes us sick. Bad relationships are what make us sick. But when we live united, and when we live into what God invites us into, there is a fullness of life that we don't know otherwise. Now, in our culture, it is so easy to live relationally dehydrated. It just is. We would call it normal. We've taken the word friend that is supposed to be one of the greatest honors and titles we could give to somebody else, and we put it on Facebook, and now we have thousands of them that we don't even know who's who. And those are our friends. And then people we actually journey life with, we don't have a word for that anymore because we just don't do it. We're living relationally dehydrated folks, and we don't need to. There's a meaning and richness to life that God invites us into, but it has to be with one another. Now, some of us are open to living with the people that we live with and maybe a couple other people, but there's something powerful that God invites us into, but we need to realize that it is not relationships that will make us sick. It's not relationships that have hurt us. It's, 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 it's bad relationships, it's not always bad people, but life gets in there and messes stuff up. And let's not let some bad relationships turn us off on the whole idea of it in general. Does that make some sense? I, I know you know this because Pastor Jamel loves to point it out for us, but I, I've been struck, as, especially the last couple months, by the fact that Jesus prayed for us. I mean, he lo loves to mention that that Jesus prayed for us. And in that prayer, in John 17, he, he prays this. He prays, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as you and I are one. When he prays, he prays that we won't get divided, that we won't get offended or distracted. It will stay in unity with one another. But is the end goal just community? Is the end goal that we can tolerate one another, that we can just slightly care for one another? No, that's, that's not satisfying on its own. It's not that we just come and sit and worship next to each other or that we parallel play as adults. That's not the goal. The goal is that we're really unified, that we're sacrificing for one another, that we're obeying what God calls us into next to one another, that we're revealing what God is saying to us, to one another, and that the world sees. In John 13, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, for one another. Here in Old Louisville, 
A lot of us love old Louisville. What he's saying is old Louisville will know that he is Lord, that he is the good news, that he is the healer, the provider, the protector, the deliverer. The old Louisville will know that by our love for one another. Not our tolerating of one another, not the fact that we sometimes carpool. That's not what he means by love. What he means by love is that as old Louisville sees us sacrificing for one another, as old Louisville sees us obey next to each other, which sometimes, read the book of Acts, sometimes even leads to taking different paths. As old Louisville sees us reveal what God reveals to us to one another vulnerably, saying, hey, you know what, I believe this is what God spoke to me. And we share that with one another. As old Louisville sees that, then old Louisville sees that Jesus is exactly who Jesus said that he is. That's the way that he's revealed. And this is one of the pathways where where we're most seen. As we are always becoming, this is where the community around us sees us. And so in these next few months, we're going to have some more small groups. We're going to have some more dinners together. We're going to have more opportunities to connect with one another. These are not just things to put on your calendar to keep you busy. You're already busy. That's not the point of it. The point is to have spaces carved out, consistent places where we can come to one another and do these very things that we can sacrifice, that we can obey next to one another, that we can open up and reveal what God is showing us. That's the point of gathering together. Right now, we have midweek. Every Wednesday night, you can come here. The youth group's honestly ahead of us on a lot of this stuff. If we define community by these ways, the youth group's ahead of us. And if you've got somebody in middle school, high school, send them upstairs on on Wednesday nights. We've got serving teams, which is a great place for this to take place. Live next to one another. And as we do that, that's where we're united. Some of us remember all this, this bad water, all these bad experiences, all the times that we've been hurt in community, or not even just hurt, but sometimes just wasted time next to one another. You ever been in a group like that? Where you just showed up to, like, check off that you showed up? That's not what we're talking about. We aren't looking for spaces where we just fill time. God is not into these guarded, bored hours. The goal here is that we have consistent times to be united, regular times of sacrifice, following God's lead, and listening to his voice. That's what this pathway of united looks like. So there's a few things I want to ask you into today. And we're going to take a moment, in a moment, to to just be still, and I'm going to let you pray. But one of the things I want to ask you to do is pray for people to to stand united with. Actually pray for that. We're not talking about wearing matching sweaters or being in total agreement with other people. We're not talking about people who will like just validate you. That's a different kind of relationship. What we're talking about is pray specifically for people that you can sacrifice for them and that those same people you can obey beside them. And those same people that you can open up with them. Not three different groups. 
We're talking about pray for relationships that God will bring you where you can do these three things. And maybe you need to write this down, that you can sacrifice for them, that you can obey beside them, and you can open up to them. Some of you have those relationships already. Here's what I'll tell you. If you have those, protect that time. Protect that space. Tell those people that that's what they mean to you. Don't let that be assumed because not all of us have that relationship. And even if you have those relationships, pray that God may bring you more of them. Pray that he would open your eyes to see who it is that you're to live next to in that way. Who is it in this church? Who is it at your work? Who is it that is in your life that you can live united with? That you can sacrifice for, obey beside, and open up to? The second thing that I want you to do with this is expect to encounter God and then be courageous enough to obey him. Expect to encounter him. Someone here might get nudged to start one of the next set of small groups. You might be like, hey, you know what? I need to do this. It's time. And if you feel like God pressed that on you, then then obey that. Some of you might feel like it's time to to join the church. Or like Saul, you, you might be like, hey, it's time to finally surrender. I can sense God speaking to me. If that's you, then take time to share with somebody. Practice this in a moment. We're going to have a few people up here who'd love to pray with you. If you need to say like, hey, I, I've been running from God. Or I haven't wanted to follow his lead. Or, or I'm, I've only have bad relationships. I can't imagine one where I would ever want to sacrifice in. If that's you, let somebody pray with the next to you. And third, as we, as we pray for people to stand united with, as we expect to encounter God and obey him, I want to challenge you with, with grace and openness, begin standing united. With grace because nobody you stand united with is ever going to be exactly who you think you need them to be. You know what I mean? Like you're going to sacrifice for them, and they're not going to send you a three-page thank you letter. And you're going to be like, oh, that wasn't worth it. And then you're going to obey God, and they, they may not validate your obedience the way that you think you need. Or you're going to reveal something of what God has said to you and, and you might feel you might feel some way about that. Again, being united does not mean that every moment is, is perfect. What it means is that the world will look at that and know that Jesus is Lord. What it means is a richness and meaning will be added to our lives the truthfully, we are all starving for, we're all aching for. What it means is that the prayer of Jesus that we might be one will begin to come true. And so as we're always becoming, let's do that united with one another. I'm going to pray and few of our pastors, leaders are going to come forward and pray with you. If, if you're interested, here's, like I said earlier, if you're, if you're nudged to start something or, or move in some way in following God, if, if there's something that you need to share of what God's done, if you need to surrender your life, 
You just know it's time. I want to invite you to come forward and pray with somebody. But I want to pray for us as a whole. Because I say all of this, and I don't want it to go by without acknowledging that the pain that a lot of us have relationally is real. The rejection we felt is real. The fear of getting close to people and revealing what God has said or done in our lives, that's, that's real. We have that because we've been hurt before. I don't want to ignore that pain. But I believe that I believe that I believe that on the other side of that pain, as we let God heal that pain, there's a richness and fullness to life. As we live united, we'll see the very things that we've dreamt would happen. We'll find out not only are we not rejected by God, but we'll begin to find some people that we can belong to. We can find some people that we can run with. We can experience life to the full as Jesus came for. So let's, let's pray here. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. This week as I sat in the idea that you are asking us to live sacrificially, I felt within me a bit of fatigue. And in this room, as we talk about it, I feel some fatigue. I know people are living sacrificially already, and yet I know that that's what love looks like. And so I pray that your spirit would confirm in people that loving is exactly what they're doing. I pray that as we get together, that we wouldn't hold the idea of just being together as the end goal, but that we would have the courage to obey you next to each other. do what you call us to do and that we would reveal what it is that you're saying to us, to one another. This church would be united, that this, this old Louisville, this neighborhood would know you, that there'd be healing, that there'd be hope, that there'd be life to the full. And God, let it begin in us. Let us be the first to have courage to live united and love in the way that you've called us to. We pray all of this confidently in your name. Amen. Jesus is called.